Well, so good to be with you. We're going to be taking communion later on in the service. Um, last week, we started a new series, Win the War in Your Mind. And we talked about three different categories of anxiety. And I think that's important. We talked about normal anxiety, which is normal. It's just that's God intended it to be that. This is a good human emotion that prepares us and readies us to act. And so that's great. We shouldn't want less of that in our lives. That's needed. But then we talked about unhealthy anxiety. And this is anxiety that we, we can control. This is what the scripture speaks against when it talks about not worrying and not being anxious. So when we obsess over something that usually is forgetting a promise of God, often very good reasons to be concerned, but not to be obsessive. And God wants us to live a more peaceful life than that. And so we're told to not worry and to not be anxious, to bring those things to God in prayer. And then that third category was anxiety disorders where sometimes people lack the ability to control anxiety without medicine and, and therapy. Today, we're gonna to be talking mostly about unhealthy anxiety, what God wants us to do when we are obsessing over negative ideas. But I also think it's gonna be beneficial for those with anxiety disorders, because these are truths from scripture that God wants us to know so that we can pursue a peaceful life. Now, last week, uh, we laid the foundation for this. So if you haven't heard that sermon, it's not because I get a little ego trip, but I think it's worth going back and listening to that sermon. It's a two-part sermon that we had on anxiety. We also put up some resources. If you text the word anxiety to our church number, then there's a bunch of different things that can help you with anxiety, like a great mental health podcast, uh, three testimony videos, a good book, praying with a pastor, a list of licensed counselors. But most of you went to that link, not for any of that, but to watch a horrible video of me as an 18 and a half year old at a New York University speech class failing three to four times in my speech. And it is just uncomfortable to watch my anxiety. So I got a lot of nice text messages from you over the weekend saying, oh gosh, like that, oh man, that is horrible. Yes, but I put it on that page so that you could go there and see the helpful resources as well. And 20 something years later, I can laugh at myself, right? <laughs> a little, a little bit, right? Listen, rarely in life do we win anything just by existing or entering a contest. Every contest promoter wants you to think you're gonna win, but you, you buy a raffle ticket, you're just not gonna win, right? We think we are. Three weeks ago, my sister had happened to her what we all think will happen to us. She was helping a, a rescue dog place where she got her dogs from. She's always supporting them. So she bought a raffle ticket and won $35,000. Oh my goodness. And so, you know, the, after taxes, it's, it's uh, $3,000, I think. But, <laughs> but man, we were, it was just before we went on a trip to New Jersey. And so we were gonna have pizza that night but we upgraded the menu on her behalf to some seafood and some good stuff. We said, well, you can afford it, so we're gonna eat something else here. Listen, that doesn't ever really happen. Win the war in your mind. How do we win this chaotic war in our mind? It requires intentionality. It requires planning. In football, there's no formula that is followed that guarantees a victory. The coach doesn't even know if they're gonna be the ones kicking off or receiving until a coin flip, but that doesn't mean they're unprepared. They've run through plays and patterns. They have plans that can address anything that comes up in that moment. The scriptures give us a good uh, picture of what it's like to have a mind full of anxiety in Proverbs 25, verse 28, where it says, a man who has no control over his spirit is like a city broken into 
without walls, a city broken into without walls. That's what it feels like sometimes. The walls have come down and we are being raided by all different kinds of anxious thoughts. And it feels like thousands of different ideas are hitting our minds and we are vulnerable to that attack. We can't stop it. We can't stop thinking negatively and it just keeps on coming. And today we're gonna talk about what God wants us to do to prevent some of that but also plan for how to work towards peace when it does happen. Because when the enemy breaks into our minds and we just have to start having all these negative thoughts, that's not the place where God wants us to dwell, to live. It should be a momentary thing that then pushes us towards the Lord. And so first, let's talk about preventing as much unhealthy anxiety as possible. We wanna prevent needless anxiety. Uh, turn to the person next to you and tell them who said this quote so you have bragging rights on how smart you are. Here's the quote. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Who said that? Come on, show them how smart you are. You are the Jeopardy champion. All right? Now, don't shout it out because that's extra bragging. Listen, that quote was said by Allie, our creative arts pastor. She's the one. But she was quoting Ben Franklin in 1736 to remind the citizens of Philadelphia about fire prevention. He's like, listen, can we not burn this city down? It's beautiful. Let's prevent fires. It's cheaper to prevent a fire than it is to rebuild after a fire. And so prevention is so important. If you could reduce your anxiety by 20%, would you do that? Like, well, I want 100% reduction. Well, that's not realistic. <laughs> and, and I don't know what percentage we're even talking about here, but if there's some needless anxiety in your life that you don't have to have, and it's 10, 20%, that would still be a better week. Maybe it's that extra 10 or 20% that's pushing you over the edge that if you didn't have, you'd be able to deal with the rest of your anxiety. Not all anxiety is preventable, but some is, and we should start there. And we can start there by... One, limiting our anxious inputs, right? Why do we invite so much anxiety into our lives? Let's limit the amount of anxious inputs that we have in our lives. In 2014, there was a report that came out that the CIA would torture the terrorists that they were you know, interrogating by blasting an American song 24-7 for weeks at a time to break them down. People couldn't sleep, and it was just, they were losing their minds in this moment. We do that to ourselves by allowing so much anxious inputs into our lives. Why do we do that? Why do we submit ourselves that we invite the chaos into our minds needlessly? Let's limit it. So what do we limit? Well, a lot of the categories that cause anxiety revolve around screen time. They just do, all right? And so uh, the, the news is not to be consumed morning, afternoon, and evening if you want a healthy life. You have to choose how much news you're going to get, not be consumed by it. Of course, you feel anxious when you're watching the news all the time. They're trying to sell you some clickbait, and so they're telling you that the, the article that you click on is like, Vladimir Putin is targeting Canyon Lake specifically with his nukes, and you're like, oh no, Canyon Lake, that is so specific. Why wouldn't he choose LA or New York City? No, it's, it's Canyon Lake, he's coming for you. And so we, we get so worked up because they're lying to us. They've even come up with a phrase called doom scrolling. That's what some of us do. Doom scrolling is when you're constantly refreshing the news pages or the social media feed, looking for the worst case scenarios. You need to be the first to know an update on how bad the world is. It doesn't help us prepare any more than knowing the basics, but we get caught in this loop looking for more terror sometimes. 
It's super technical, but I think if you want to reduce some anxious inputs, grab your phone and turn off every app notification. When you download an app, it says, you need to let me talk to you all day long and while you're sleeping, if this is going to work for you. Turn off all the notifications, except for like phone calls, a FaceTime video call, text messages, GPS. Turn the rest of it off. Why would you let an app who's trying to get money from you tell you when you need to look at the app? It makes no sense. And so turn them all off and just focus on what you want to focus on. If possible, even schedule when you look at emails, right? You're like, well, I might not be able to do that with my job. But for some, if you said 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. while I'm working, that's when I check emails. The rest of the time, I'm going to work. Every time you hear that notification that an email's come, then you're, well, what could happen? Maybe my family emailed me about this horrible situation instead of calling me. It just doesn't happen. And so that's why we have phrases like, garbage in, garbage out, and you are what you eat. So I'm a bowl of cereal and my wife's a smoothie, right? We are what we eat. It's true, what we consume, we become. And so the scriptures address this. Paul telling the church at Colossae how they can follow the Lord passionately said this in Colossians 3, 2. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. That second part is what's worth looking at, not on earthly things. I'm not saying the only solution is to get rid of all technology and only have your nose in the book. I'm not, I'm not saying that's the answer. There's, there's a time for, for neutral media in our lives. But doesn't this verse at least imply some limit? Shouldn't there be some limit instead of it being all-consuming and it tells us when we're going to come to it next, right? Some limit on earthly things is needed if we're going to live a healthy life. Listen, that's not legalism. It's legalism when you make that decision for yourself and your family, and then you judge other people for not following your boundaries and your limits. That's legalism. If you think, oh, well, the Lord really loves me because I only have a TV night once a week, so I wonder, I guess he just doesn't love everyone else. That's legalism. It's wisdom to just follow the scriptures and say, okay, some limit is needed. So Shannon and I have been trying for over a month now to we moved our phone chargers downstairs by the, by the printer. And um, when the kids are home, we're trying to leave the phones on the chargers so that our kids can have some, some good attention. And we keep them down there at night when we're sleeping. Now, if our kids were in college or old enough to really sneak out of the house, I might not do this, right? I wanna be ready to hear what carnage they've caused, right? But when they're all in the house and they're causing the carnage in our house, we keep those downstairs as a reminder we don't need to be endlessly scrolling late at night if we're having a hard time sleeping. And when we get up in the morning, that's a good reminder for us that we should go to the Word before we go to the phones and see how horrible the world is. That's been helping. We're also trying like a no screen time Saturday thing. It's our, for our, one of our Sabbath rules that we have. So on Saturdays, we don't, we got the Apple watches with cell phones so that we could be available for emergencies and communicate with each other. But the phones are left on the chargers all day and we try not to even go over to them. Why? I think it was John Mark Homer that said, those that practice a Sabbath one day a week live differently the other six days. So one day a week, we're breaking the chains of the screen time addiction, hoping that it gives us healthier habits the rest of the week. It's, it's possible we're actually enjoying it. Maybe you need to pick a couple days a week that you're like, okay, this is our family TV night. This is uh, my personal TV night or with my spouse. And besides that, we're just, we're just not watching TV. We're going to do other things that are good for us rather than endlessly consuming. The science, stats, and scriptures are in complete agreement that increased 
anxious inputs will increase anxiety, increase screen time in the sake of science and stats. Everyone on the planet is trying to tell us that obsessing over our screens is killing us and we're not listening. All of us, this is like our greatest problem. Everyone's telling us. So you're like, well, I'm not a Christian. Great, only research secular statistics and all of them will tell you screen timing is ruining your children and it's ruining you. You're like, well, I'm a Christian. Great, look at the scriptures and find that there are better things for us to be looking at than obsessing over scripture. Everything is in agreement saying there needs to be a limit. Think of it more as we need to use screens as a tool it can be a tool to have a great family movie night and have fun together. It's not a tool when you endlessly are just letting it go to the next episode, go to the next episode and not getting any sleep, right? There needs to be some limit. Sometimes we need to limit unhealthy friends that are fueling our anxiety. Now, don't, don't take advantage of this and look at your spouse and say, see, I need to limit you. I need to know. There's a time and a place, right? But at least have the right motivation when you're doing this. And you can't look at your six-year-old and say, no, no, none of you. I can't, I can't handle it. It's true. You can't handle your six-year-old. But listen, the Proverbs tell us this. The tongue, our words, has the power of life and death. When people speak life to us, we're built up and encouraged. And when they speak anxiety to us, we're just kind of torn down and destroyed. And there's, there's a death in us. We have to believe the scriptures. Healthy boundaries are needed so that we can care for ourselves. That's okay. So it might be that you have to tell someone, you can't text me drama every day of the week. Let's make Saturday's drama day or Sunday afternoons after you're built up in church, you'll deal with that person's drama, right? You, it's okay to have healthy boundaries. Now they're gonna tell you it's not fair, it's unloving, you're unkind. If you've got the right motives, it's quite fair because you're just admitting that you are not God. You, are your shoulders created to handle the drama of the entire world and everyone else's drama? A little bit were to bear one another's burdens. Yes, of course. But to not limit any of this anxious input in our lives is saying, I can handle it all. No, you can't. Jesus is there for us to give everything to. It's not for us to hold on to. It's actually quite humble to give ourselves some limits and to know your limits as a person because you're declaring, I'm dependent on God. I need him. I can't operate as he operates. That's his category. So sometimes we need to limit some people in our lives. And there's a way to do that lovingly and, and tactfully as they're working on themselves and, and learning. So, and then real practically, limit unneeded debt in your life. You know how it feels when you've got unhealthy debt and it's just, it's just accruing and, and getting worse. And so I'm not talking about your, your mortgage, some of those basic needs, but when you splurge and buy that extra thing that you really didn't need, it haunts you until you pay it off. It bothers, like I, when I paid off our, our cars for the first time, we were, I had clunkers growing up. Uh, then we leased cars when we got married because I thought Shannon deserved a little better than my clunkers, my $1,000 cars. And then we finally started financing cars and we finally just paid off both of our cars, I think in 2020. It's, re it's really easy to do when you have a Ford Fiesta. <laughs> a salvage title Ford Fiesta. You're basically just paying for the title transfer. They just don't want it anymore. And so I don't want to brag about that. It's just no one wanted, it's just affordable. Listen, but pay down debt. It felt so good to have that debt paid off. So some anxiety is preventable by limiting anxious inputs. Why wouldn't we do that? Otherwise, we're inviting it. Some anxiety is pre prevented by increasing peaceful inputs in our lives. When Hurricane Ian came and ravaged Florida, 
I believe as of yesterday, 114 people died as a direct impact of the storm. They say up to thousands could die indirectly over disease and stuff over the next few months. But it was the worst death toll in 90 years when it came to storms in Florida. One of the things I noticed a few days before the storm is that all the local towns were putting out press releases saying, this is where you pick up your sandbags. But then I saw that they were only giving six sandbags per family. And I'm like, well, man, how do you surround your whole house with six sandbags? And I was like, I would go to all the towns and just get all of them. Well, it turns out, other people may have known this, you're just supposed to put them in front of your front door, your back door. They're just designed to give you a little bit of a boost if, if the flood is coming to build up your fortifications. And, and, and that's what we mean when we say increase our peaceful inputs is look for the weakest areas of your life, the front door, the back door, where you're like, oh, this category of negative thought just consumes me and fortify that area. Look for the truth in God's word for that area. Build up peace in your life so you're more able to handle the storms that are around you. Strengthen your soul. And one way to do that is to increase the peaceful inputs. I like how Paul says it in Philippians 4.8. Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. We should at least be scheduling these things into our lives, saying, this is where I find peace and joy and not anxiety. Schedule that into our lives. It's often the fear of what might be rather than what is that causes us to have anxiety. And so to concentrate on the truth and the blessings that we have in Christ and in our lives can build us up rather than only focusing on that which is negative. It's Isaiah 26.3 that we mentioned last week where God says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. It may only be for a few moments. It may be a peace that goes away and we have to go back to God, but we need to concentrate on God and what is good. So how do we add habits of, of Bible reading? Oh, listening to Christian podcasts instead of other things while we're in the car. Everyone in the church has access to Right Now Media. It's like a Christian Netflix thing with great video Bible studies. There's a link on our homepage for, for signing up for that for free. We pay for it and you guys don't have to. It's good. Worship music. I know the mornings at the Dean House that start with worship music rather than their favorite band right now is Pari Grip. It's um, famous songs such as It's Raining Tacos pancake robot is coming to town. Uh, they're just psychotic. Baby Yoda songs. They're great. They're catchy. I hate that they're stuck in my mind. Those mornings, surprisingly, aren't as peaceful as the mornings that we start in the Word, right? Those mornings are the better mornings. So for me, being in a discipleship group, which we're talking about in a couple of weeks after a third service, is, is where I can find that accountability. Now, some anxiety is prevented not just by reducing anxious inputs or increasing peaceful inputs, but by seemingly non-spiritual activity. And we just need to get over the fact that it's harder to find a verse for it. And it's just how God made us and designed us and it's helpful. Things like trying to get the right amount of sleep, right? Sometimes you're like, oh, but I gotta finish the movie tomorrow. It may be better to have a consistent, you know, bedtime and wake up time so you get in good rhythms of, of sleeping better. Watching what you eat. Sugar and caffeine affect your mood. You're like, yeah, but they affect our mood for the better. I, I know, I know that, right? But sometimes too much can, can mess you up. Getting outside daily is so helpful. There, the, the science even says being around trees and looking at the sky, and it just calms the soul. It just brings tranquility. It's, why wouldn't we go for more walks? 
in, in two Saturdays, there's a bunch of families and, and singles from Cornerstone joining my family for a, a hike in Joshua Tree. It's an hour and 45 minutes away. You get to go on two beautiful hikes. You're back by 2.30 in the afternoon, and it's, it's otherworldly, the beauty that God has created there. It's good for the soul. Or this fourth category that I read about on Wikipedia called exercise, all right? And I've, it's, it's, there's all kinds of fascinating articles about it. Listen, since I hurt my back, it's been almost three months and I haven't broken a sweat. And so no wonder I'm having a hard time sleeping. I sit at a desk all day writing a sermon and I'm like, I'm just not tired for what I'm doing. So last night I bought a stationary bike and this morning I can't say that I sweat, but I got damp. I was damp a little bit, and that's the first step, and pretty soon I'll be exercising again. Listen, it's good for our soul. It's good for our mind to do that. So that's prevention, but what about when anxiety hits? What kind of a plan can we have to work towards peace once it starts? Well, first of all, know that there's hope. There is hope that God will give us peace no matter what you're going through. The psalmist said, I sought the Lord. So I brought this to God in prayer, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fear. It is possible to go to God and he helps you with your fears. And so there's six things we can do. First is to identify how you express anxiety. What does it look like for you? We put a chart up last week about how it might feel physically. Maybe there's a physical feeling you feel. Maybe it's when you get stuck on a repetitive thought that you know this is anxiety. To identify that and to kind of know what it is can help you because then you can use it as a cue to seek the Lord when you know I'm feeling anxious. We're to do this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul said, we demolish arguments and pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. There are times where our thoughts are against the knowledge of God. It's just against the truth of scriptures. And sometimes our feelings feel that way as well. And so what are we to do? we have to take our thoughts captive. We have to recognize I'm out of alignment with the truth of God's word, so I'm going to ask God to help me move my feelings and my thoughts closer to be obedient to Christ, to bring it into submission to that God is real in my life. And then it can be helpful to name the pressure that we're facing, especially if the pressure is today. If you ever bring a problem that's right in front of you today, the act of naming it can be helpful because anxiety usually comes in the form of thousands of different thoughts that you're anxious about, it can be good to pick one. What's the main thing I'm anxious about? What's the one thought? And it can reduce it from thousands to something finite, something that you can tackle and deal with. If the trouble you're worried about is in the past, the scriptures encourage us like this, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. There's only so much benefit to thinking about the past. And so this thing in the past that is causing anxiety, that is causing pain, it's normal and human to think about it a little. When we live there, when we dwell in the past, I mean, that can just paralyze us for today. It can paralyze us. And so we're told there's a benefit to forgetting that and pushing forward to what? Not to tomorrow's worries, but to how you can be in sync with God tomorrow. What does it look like to have kingdom living in your life in the future? And there's a blessing that comes from God when we line up our lives with what he wants us to do in his kingdom. And if the trouble is in the future, Jesus himself says this, don't worry about it. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. 
We don't want to borrow trouble from the future for today. Today has enough drama of its own, doesn't it? And so we need to deal with what's in front of us. Trust God that he will give us the grace and wisdom for what's in front of us tomorrow, not today. And it's so important for us to take it one day at a time. It's such a spiritual concept to say, Lord, in this moment, you're here. How do you want to handle this? And after we've named it, we should ask, why do I feel so anxious about this? Like, why am I feeling this anxiety? Because worry always has an inner logic that takes over our mind. There's something about the problem that, that edges out God's place from, from the center of our mind. And when God is in the center of our mind, we feel peaceful, we have a trust because God loves us and he's there and we know that. And then we just forget about him because worry causes us to think it's all over, there's no help, there's, there's nothing that I can do here. And God has been left out of the equation. And if we're honest, and if I'm honest, in my moments of greatest worry, sometimes I just don't believe the promises of God. Otherwise, I wouldn't just be stressing so much over something that multiple times in the scriptures, God is trying to tell me, I got you. You're gonna be taken care of. Everything's gonna be fine. Remember, I'm God and I love you. Like, I just forget that. Or sometimes I just say, I, I know, but it just still feels insurmountable. It still feels overwhelming. And so we have to think about God's perspective. So we're told in 2 Corinthians that we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That's what hijacks our minds, what we can see. The problem in front of us that doesn't include God because he's unseen and eternal, it hijacks our mind. And the only way to get our mind back towards peace is to bring God back into it and say, I can't see God, but I believe he's here. I can't see him, but I feel his presence. He's going to be here with me. And then think of a better reason that Jesus gives for us to not worry in that situation. There's a few that we see in the scriptures. One is that God is our father. The creator of the whole world is our father. That's how close we are to him. So Jesus says, do not worry, saying, what are we gonna eat, drink, or wear? Friend believers run after these things. Your heavenly father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. This is like the most subtle rebuke that Jesus ever gives. If you really look at it, it kind of hurts, but he's saying it with love. He's saying, sometimes, Andy, you act like God isn't real, like he's not your father. You act like you're an unbeliever that has no relationship with God. And that's why you're so stressed out. Recently, Gideon was kind enough, my eight-year-old, to, um, he was curious, I get, he's allowed to be curious. He stood up on the bathroom counter, the guest bathroom, and he's like, what is that? That's not a light, that's just this box of darkness. And he was looking into the, into the ceiling fan, and then he stepped back into the sink, and the undermount sink is no longer, well, it's under, it's still under, it's just no longer mounted. It just completely came off. And I'm looking at it saying, what in the world? How, how am I gonna fix this? And I'm, I'm thinking, I, this is like factory made. I'm gonna tear the whole wall up. You have to, everything I read says you have to like flip it upside down to fix it. I'm like, what in the, oh, wait a second. I have a father in New Jersey that can build a house from the ground up. And so I get on the phone with my dad and I'm telling him about it. And he's like, oh yeah, but you haven't thought about this and here's how you can fix it. And then after assessing my skills, he said, but you should just call a plumber. <laughs> I'll be out in two weeks, but if you can't wait, but we have some cornerstone people coming over in the next two weeks. And so we wanted you to have a bathroom that you could use. And so we got it, we got it fixed. And I was proud of myself for only charging Gideon one one hundredth of the $250. He owes me $2.50. That's great. What a big help. Listen, God is our father. We, we forget that he's, he's there for us. God is a provider. 
The Philippians were told, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Do we believe that? Do we believe God is sovereign? In the Psalms, it says, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Right? I mean, nothing bad or good can happen to us and surprise God. At the very least, God will say, oh, I knew that was coming for thousands of years. I've always known that was going to happen. And then as we process and realize, wait, okay, but God is good, even though this bad thing happened, it helps us to kind of calm down and recognize, all right, I don't know how God's goodness is going to work out in this situation, but I'm trusting God because he's sovereign. This didn't just bypass his authority and control. So we think of a better reason to not worry that Jesus gives us, and then we discuss it with God and others, prayer and conversation. The things we worry about, there's good reason that we're concerned about them, but better reason is to bring them to someone that loves us dearly. Bringing our concerns to God in prayer is one of the best things that we can do. And then since he is unseen, even though there's such value in that, we can bring those concerns to other people that care for us. And those conversations with the right people can be edifying and encouraging and build us up and give us the hope that we need. Psalm 94 says, when anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. But the psalmist never would have experienced that without going to God. And finally, care for yourself and for others. What can you do practically that has helped you before in your most anxious moments? Maybe it's some of those seemingly non-spiritual activities of going outside, exercising. You know, maybe it's calling a friend who's just good at distracting you or pointing you to Christ. What can you do that has been helpful before? And I think it's great to, to think through, okay, yeah, I'm going through this. This feels like the worst thing. I wish more people were, were thinking about me as I go through this anxiety, but I'm going to think about which of my friends and family are having troubles as well, and I want to practically care for them. There's something so freeing in just stopping thinking about ourselves, realizing that trouble will be there later. I want to go and bless somebody else. I want to go and make their life better. I want to point them to Christ, and maybe I'll start believing the same promises I'm sharing with them. It's a lot easier to share the promises of God with other people than it is with ourselves for some reason. So bless somebody else. But when we're anxious, the best thing we can do is to remember Jesus, right? And so if you'll pull out your communion cups and you can raise your hand if uh, they missed you on the way in, or if you thought they were trying to hand you like an infomercial packet or something, you can raise your hand and they'll hand you one right now. The ushers will be coming down the aisles. And you can take the bread out. Don't be anxious if you don't have the bread yet. This is a sermon on anxiety, so don't be anxious about that. When you get it, it's okay. You can take the bread out and flip the cup over and prepare for the juice. And listen, do you know the main thing that Jesus says for why we should take communion, why he made this a rhythm in the church? It's because he knew we would forget him and all chaos would be let loose. And by remembering Jesus, by thinking about him, we can have that perfect peace by remembering like the bread is supposed to remind us that Jesus had his body broken for us. That's how much God loves us. The Father loves us so much, he sent Jesus, his son, to be beaten and hurt and betrayed and crucified for us. We're loved by God. That needs to mean something. And I forget all about that love in my greatest moments of anxiety. And when I remember God, it doesn't always mean the anxiety goes away, but knowing that God is with me, that is capturing every tear in a bottle, 
that he himself has had normal anxiety when Jesus was in the garden and he was just struggling knowing he was about to be arrested, but he went to God in prayer. He reminded himself of the Father. And as we remind ourselves of the love of Jesus, he can bring peace to our souls. And and the cup is to remind us that it wasn't just dying to show us love, it was to establish a real relationship with God. No longer like in the Old Testament do only the high priests get to go and and talk to God in the tabernacle just one day a year. Every person that believes in God has a relationship with him because of the blood of Jesus that was shed so that there's a new covenant, a new relationship that we can have with God. We need to take advantage of that relationship. And so let's take the bread and the cup together. Father, as we remember you, the only way to remember you is to remember that you did and you continue to love us, that that you would enter into suffering doesn't always end our suffering. It doesn't always end our anxiety, but to know that you don't put yourself above that, but you joined into it so that we could relate to you, so that we know that we can go to you and you understand us, it is a comforting feeling. And I pray for anyone that's here that is struggling with anxiety, that you would give them hope, that you would give them moments of peace, that as they take steps of faith to reduce their anxious inputs and increase their peaceful inputs, Lord, that as they live the way you've asked them to live, that that you would meet them in those moments and their faith would be built up as they have those times of peace with our God. Lord, I'm so thankful that my sins are forgiven, Lord. Our sins are forgiven. Though they were as scarlet, they've been made as white as snow. They've been cast as far as the east as from the west. They've been buried in the deepest ocean. You don't rub our sins on our face. Instead, you treat us like you are our Father in heaven. So thank you for Jesus dying on the cross so that a new covenant could be established. Help us to take advantage of that new covenant, Lord. Help us not to just drift along in the ways of the world and everything that's trending has to trend for us as Christians too. Lord, no, help us to take advantage that our God wants to hear our voice, that he wants to speak into our lives, but that requires moments of quiet, of solitude, and somehow it's even possible with with little children and chaotic jobs, we can disappear and find some time with you. And I pray that we would all do that this week that we would seek first the kingdom of God, knowing you're you're gonna take care of all of it. You're gonna be there in our future anxiety and you're here now. And so we cast our anxieties upon you because you care for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope that God's word has encouraged you as it has me. And please know that there's a prayer team available right now that would love to pray for you in the front. God bless you guys.